Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment just never thought it would end up being there never thought we'd hear back from rounder yeah. never thought we would hear from rounder in the first place if this is your first time listening you can hear full interviews with jerry douglas allison brown bailiff fleck larry sparks jody stecker and so many more wherever you get your podcast thank you so much for listening later on everybody if you want to get your energy back if you want to sleep better block out the unhealthy effects of blue light on your mental health, on your physical health, then you need these incredible blue light blocking glasses called blue blocks. Other companies have these like mass produced products, but they have no understanding about how light impacts health. And that's one of the things I love about blue blocks is how much research they've done and how they are evidence backed. You can get free shipping worldwide and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash harmonics or enter code harmonics at checkout. That's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com slash harmonics for 15% off or just use the code harmonics. Oh my goodness, this interview you're about to hear is with one of my all-time favorite musicians and artists. I have been a fan of Margot Price since her first album. I actually think I discovered her, and we didn't talk about this because I didn't realize till yesterday, but I actually think I discovered her on Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown um, on the Nashville episode. They were playing music and sitting around a porch, and I was like, who is that incredible voice and this woman? I was so excited and nervous to talk to her, but she is just just the chillest, the coolest, the most wonderful. If you don't know, Margot has taken over the Americana world ever since her debut solo release, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, in 2016. And she was nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys in 2019 after her second album. She released her genre-bending album, That's How Rumors Get Started. It's so good. As well as a kick-ass live album, which I also love, from her sold-out 2018 run at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville last year during the pandemic. Her honest and outspoken songwriting, politics, and overall badassery as a woman is just so refreshing, especially in the often tight-lipped Nashville scene and it was an absolute honor and a pleasure to talk to her. And I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. So here you go, Margot Price. I'm so excited to meet you. I'm such a fan. I've seen you at the Hollywood Bowl. I love your social media. I love everything about you. And I'm just so excited that you're on the show. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, I I guess we start every interview just because of everything going on in the world. Like, how are you? But like, for real, <laughs> how are you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I feel like in the past month, I've been kind of coming out of this, you know, doom and gloom of 2020 um, with a little more positivity once my husband got vaccinated. He got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and my parents and my in-laws. And like, once that kind of happened, I just felt this whole weight kind of lifted, you know? Yeah. Um, but actually, and I'm recovering from a, I had hernia surgery because of my pregnancies I had. So that's been something the past few weeks. This is like one of the first things I've really done um, where anyone's seen me and where I've, uh, yeah, kind of felt like a human again, because it was pretty serious. They, um, yeah, they gave me some pain pills and I didn't really realize like how much it was going to hurt, but, um, I'm doing a lot better now. <laughs> oh my God. Well, speaking of motherhood, so how old are your kids now? So I have a 10 year old and a almost two year old. How has that been being home with them and not like touring or <laughs> through this for this pandemic year? It's been great. I mean, I think, you know, it, I was really ready to get back to work after taking a maternity leave for sure. I like, you know, women always you feel like you have so much to catch up on when you when you go through like a maternity leave. So I was a little heartbroken because we had all, like, you know, a tour with Chris Stapleton and like just a bunch of stuff in the works. And my husband was going to go tour with Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers and like everything just fell through. But we've been really, you know, bonded as a family, as like corny as that sounds. It's like, it's been so nice to just be home and like do normal things like like go to soccer practice and watch yeah. soccer practice, you know, like most of the time I'm I'm like missing things like that. Like I'm missing the games and I'm missing the like school events, um, which there wasn't really, I mean, a lot of that obviously because they weren't in school. But now that in the last like couple weeks that things have been moving again, I feel, I mean, I'm really, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm not going to lie. I've had fun, <laughs> but now I'm like, okay, we can be done now. <laughs> I, I'm not a mom yet, but I always wonder because like, I feel like my baby for my whole life, just in our careers, you have to devote everything you have to the career and you have to constantly keep doing it because people can forget and you're always promoting something or you're always trying to. So it's like finding that balance. Has that been hard, easy? Do you feel ever like, oh, I missed another soccer practice? Or are you like, no, I can't be the best version of myself or the best mom if I'm not doing creatively what fills me up? I think it's like always been trying to find a balance and like I never felt like I fit in with the other moms like even before my career took off like I just always felt really awkward and you know like I wasn't the one that was like making the perfect cupcakes but I I don't know I think that you know my son he's just like never known it any other way really we've always been kind of like touring and traveling and we've always had like vagrants and uh you know other traveling musicians like staying in our home so he's just like grown up you know it kind of in it so he's never thought twice about it but there's like mom guilt I mean that's like the thing about having a kid whether you're a mom or a dad it's like you're immediately going to feel like guilty for the rest of your life and worried and sleep deprived and it's great 
So that sounds like motherhood is awesome and I yeah. should totally do it soon. <laughs> You're going to have so much time for you. <laughs> I mean, but it is like, is there during the pandemic, I think I read somewhere that you're a runner. Like for you mm-hmm. is, is that like whatever, however long you run, is that like your time when you're able to like get your mental health on track? Do you ever have, have you ever had trouble with mental health, like panic attacks or anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I always kind of struggle with depression and, and a little bit of anxiety. And obviously this year was just like yeah. bad for anybody who had, who's had those you know, characteristics in their personality anyway. But, um, I, I do try to make time for myself. I mean, at the same time, I feel like having kids has like probably kind of saved my life in a way because I see a lot of my friends that, um, that don't have kids and it's like, they're still like partying just as hard as they ever did because, (laughs) you know, you don't have to be up at six 30 in the morning and, so I think that, you know, like moving out of Nashville proper and like having a family and like planting a garden and all those things, like they have made me more healthy as, as a person. And I, and I, and I manage my time, like my time management is like every second is accounted for because you just, you don't want to waste any like free time. It's like every day, like during the nap, I'm like, okay, well that's when I'm going to do my meetings or, you know, like plan to to shower or or go for a run (laughs) (laughs) plan to shower yeah that's hope so I mean we you know when I have my mom here helping Uh. it's like everything it runs really smoothly but when she's not here I do tend to kind of feel like I'm drowning a little bit and it's just such a weird time because it's not like you can just like call a neighbor and you know be like hey could I could I bring the kids over it's been a, a different uh, just a different time to raise a family. I could imagine that that like too, if you're having to like every moment time manage, how does that work for like creative flow? Like, has that changed you as a songwriter? Has it made you better because of the restriction? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like it's just made it different. Like, I mean, obviously I, and I'll, my husband and I will still like write sometimes where it's like, you know, the baby's like playing in the creek or or just outside in the sandbox and you know if she's like occupied and I mean my husband's sitting outside with her right now and she's in her baby pool and he's like jamming some Neil Young and and you know sometimes we'll just sit there with a guitar while she plays and you have to just like look for little windows of you know of opportunity to like kind of just nab it when you can or if you if you have an idea make a quick voice memo or like just figure it out. But you have, you have a lot of kids. You have a lot of pet kids. I have a lot of pet kids, but they're not as time consuming in that sense. Like my horses take the, our horses are taken care of like when we're not there. So, but I do feel like for me, I think I'm the opposite creatively. Like if I'm really time crunched, then the creative work to me becomes not fun. Yeah. I just wonder like, cause you've been a songwriter for so long. It's such an incredible songwriter and storyteller. How does that flow work for you? It can be draining. And, you know, especially when I was on the road, like 200 plus days a year, it does get hard to sit down and, you know, find time to write songs. I mean, my husband and I, because we like write together, we're always like really pushing each other. And because he doesn't have as like um, as much of a like touring career at this point, so when he's on the road with me, he's just more in that like writing mindset and I'm really competitive. So then I'll be like, well, he's writing 
at breakfast. So I want to write something, you know. Is Was the love story, like how you guys met, was it through music initially? Or was it just you met and then decided to start writing together? Well, I met him at a Belmont college party where neither of us were going to school. But we were <laughs> just like hanging out with these these musicians and um, I had come over to this house on campus and he was sitting in a recliner and there was a lot of pot smoke in the air and they were playing, he was playing Fraggle Rock on the bass. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, and um, he was really quiet, he was really shy, he was coming out of a divorce and we just met really kind of briefly and then a few days later I, I met him again and we played each other a few songs and but it, for the first couple of years, I didn't feel comfortable enough to co-write with him. It was like, I don't know, your songs are your babies and it, you don't want like anybody to like change something about something that you've created at first, you know? So like it does take a lot of surrendering those inhibitions, those like feelings that you have that you want to, you know, keep something and have it be all yours. And once you kind of let go over to that it's like okay we can just riff back and forth on a line you know and and say something back and forth and back and forth until it changes and it's the exact right thing but uh yeah belmont thank you belmont for bringing <laughs> us together <laughs> neither of us could afford tuition <laughs> oh wow well you didn't need it now look at you so there you go kids don't go to college <laughs> drop out of school <laughs> drop out of school be like margot price did you growing up were you always wanting to write songs or was songwriting something you found when you were older or was it since you were a little girl was it an outlet for you like emotionally always I mean I always loved writing and you know and singing and playing I honestly thought I would act you still can <laughs> I know I know as as this like pandemic's been going on I'm like man maybe I should switch careers it's a lot easier to make movies right now than it is oh my god it. so true come on in yeah come on. yeah please <laughs> I, yeah, I knew that I wanted to be on stage. I always really loved like dancing and I took, you know, my mom put me in dance class. I did tap and gymnastics and, and ballet and all that stuff. And, and then it probably around the age of like 12, when I got my first guitar, that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to actually try to learn how to play songs and learn how to write songs. And I think it took me, you know, probably two decades to actually figure out how to write a good song. I think it, it's just, I mean, obviously some people are just like born geniuses, like, you know, somebody like John Prine or, or something where it's like at 26, he's writing hello in there. But for me, what I was writing at 26 was, <laughs> you know, it still needed some work. Yeah. Speaking of John Prine, we just had Fiona Prine on, which was like, so amazing. Oh, I love her. Oh, I loved her so much and, and him. And you're such like, what do you call it? A trailblazer at like the forefront of country music. But you also have had these mentorships by like John Prine and Willie Nelson and Dolly and these people that like feel like you also honor the like tradition of great country music too. How has that been for you? Like working with the greats as far as like from a from a emotional, physical, creative standpoint? I mean, I think for me, that's been more exciting than any like award nomination or, or, you know, just getting those like opportunities to be out on the road and like opening for Willie like multiple times or like, you know, hanging with him on his bus or playing the, the Dolly 
Grammy tribute and her Opry party, like getting to meet them really has been the best thing about success. I mean, obviously like not waitressing, that is awesome too. <laughs> and you know, like not working a bunch of shitty jobs, but that really is one of the the sweeter moments of of finally getting some success. Have you ever asked any of them for like advice on a song or lyrics or showed them something like before or has it been more like, no, I'm just going to have this great relationship, but like I'm scared to have you make me better (laughs) or try to make me better? Well, actually, when Willie recorded on my second album on All American Made, he Jeremy and I had written this song called Learning to Lose that I love that song. It was like it was totally thank you. I was like really in the style of Willie Nelson. I mean, we were just listening to a lot of his records on the road. And um, when when we went in there, you know, I was kind of nervous because I felt like the song was like so Willie Nelson-esque that I'm like, is this too derivative? Like, did we did we honor him? Because you never want to like just blatantly rip off a melody or, you know, like too much of a mood, which you know you can do by accident and and people do and you're like oh did you know that that's nine to five (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he he told us when he got done singing it he was like he looked at me and jeremy and he was like that is a a great song that is a really well-written song and jeremy was like well we were just trying to copy you you know he's like if it wasn't for you that song never would have been written and wow i didn't write that song y'all wrote that song and you should be really proud of it and we definitely were like, you know, tears in our eyes, like, thank you. Oh my God. Yeah. That must feel so cool. It was a good, <laughs> it was a good day for sure. And I mean, with it, you know, other times it's like I won't like blatantly or directly ask for advice, but like with Emmy Lou, um, I did like oh. a Oh God, I know. She's, she's my absolute all time favorite so other than Dolly. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's just amazing but uh yeah we did this little panel together for americana fest and uh we started talking about record labels and you know sometimes they don't want to sign women you know because she said that when she was getting going with the hot band a lot of labels were turning her down because they were like well you're really great and we love you but you know you're probably just going to get knocked up and you know have to take time off the road and she said and you know what I did get knocked up and she said and it was fine she's like and look everything worked out fine you know and I didn't know it but at the time that she was that we were having that conversation I was like two weeks pregnant with Ramona and I had no idea and I mean I was scared to death I wasn't planning on having a baby girl I had already had a baby you know and it was a traumatic pregnancy and a really traumatic experience. So when I find, when I found out, I mean, I was bawling my eyes out, you know, holding the pregnancy test on my friend's toilet, and I just could hear Emmy lose like words, like, you know what, I got knocked up and it was fine. Oh, wow. Oh my God, I love that story. Through the traumatic times, what? I mean, I know you had Jeremy, your amazing husband, but. Was music also your healer? It is. I think I grew close to it again through this past year. I mean, obviously, you know, I would always have my headphones when we would travel and I would listen to, you know, albums on the flight and and listen to music at night, sometimes to go to sleep in the bunk when everyone was still partying and I was trying to sleep. Um, (laughs) You know, I think through my teen years, I really, really clung to it as like a, a lifeboat. 
And, you know, then later it was like then kind of writing. But I think more as a listener now, it's like I get up. We always have music going like in the kitchen and we do a dance party with, with Ramona where it's a little like wild, wild moment in the middle of the day that does feel something, you know, it's otherworldly. Music is, um, there's definitely a spiritual healing property to it. What do you cling to or what, 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 what is your spiritual belief or what you want to instill in your children? No, I think it's a great question. And I was raised Lutheran and we didn't go to church all the time or anything, you know, but we, we would go a couple times a month or, you know, once a month and put some money in the offering and, uh, you know, do the communion weekly like Lutherans do. But like my daughter Ramona, I haven't had her baptized or, you know, like I, that's not as much of a priority to me as like, I mean, what makes me feel healthy and connected to God is also being outside and, you know, we walk, we hike, we're in nature every day. We play in the creek, go down and pet the horses. We listen to the birds. I think, you know, in my early 20s when I was really searching for, you know, that deeper meaning and, you know, why are we here? I mean, it's, those questions still haunt me. But I, I got really into going to um, Native American sweat lodges with the Lakota. Yeah. And, you know, doing stuff like that, that just seems, I don't know, seems more grounding to me than like putting on a really formal attire and going in and like listening to, to somebody give a long sermon when they might not, you know, be sharing a lot of the same uh, morals and values. And I, I think it's, it's going to be something that we continue to navigate because, you know, my son is 10 and he's like, he's always asking questions about God and, you know, and, and death and life. And, and really, I think just, just trying to teach them, you know, how to give back, how to give back to the earth and, and how to um, just be a better human and, and care for other people. This It's been something we've been talking about this year is, with my son is like, racism and all the issues that are going on and and you have to start talking to your kids at a really young age to create well-rounded um, individuals who aren't judgmental and who aren't racist you've got to got to put the work in as when they're young and you've been such a strong voice I mean not during just during this pandemic but I've I've been a fan of yours for a long time and you have like never shied away from using your voice and being such a an ally and an activist and what do you feel like as far as like Nashville and country music? Have you come up? I know Emmy Lou talked about some of the challenges of being a woman, but on your, you know, journey up, which I know wasn't easy, did you what were some of those challenges you face? And then also how were you able to like push through and stick to your morals and your activism and what you believe is right? I mean, you know, I don't ever want to like alienate people so much that I'm like this. My opinion is the only right one or, you know, I yeah. Think a lot of times too, it does come down to like just silently doing things or, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. Um, and that's what I've been trying to like get more into. Like we've been organizing a trash cleanup out here where I live because there is a huge problem with litter, people just throwing things out of their car. There's just not as strict of like fines as there needs to be. We've been doing and with the um the flooding that we just had, like four homeless yeah. people died in Nashville. 
And when the floods happened and um, there's a lot of areas like especially North Nashville that are predominantly black and there's been a couple cleanups that have been organized by them with hands on Nashville. And I've been trying to like spread the word and want to go to one of those and, and just, you know, bring my, bring my son and be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this today. And you don't always have to like, you know, get on and, and share your opinion on the hot topic of the day. It's like, no, like what is going to make the biggest impact, you know, cause it's, it's just a hard time for, for all artists right now, because there's been such a shift this year. And I think so many musicians are probably struggling financially because we haven't been able to tour and we've got, um, you know, like the whole streaming issue where it's like nobody pays for music anymore. So we do need to like band together and create some kind of union to just take back the power into the writer's hands because it's like, I think, you know, if this was the nineties, like I would have a lot more money to throw around at charity. And, you know, I like people just don't buy albums these days. And I'm lucky. I do have fans that buy records and I have fans that, um, that pay for music and stuff, but it's, um, it's just a big time of change. And, you know, we've had big changes in the industry before and, and stayed afloat, but I know that, um, it's just going to be interesting to see if, you know, how soon people actually start getting back to feeling comfortable to going to shows. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> I, I miss live music more than I miss anything in this pandemic. Like, yeah. I need y'all to come back. And I know it. I can't even imagine just the rug getting pulled under with the touring, all the touring musicians that are. And I even read somewhere, I know that they're like, now just with kids coming up, even the guitar sales have gone down. Like, like in general, you know, there's so much technological, I don't even know what you call it, but like yeah. kids can make beats and they can do stuff on their computer, but that's sort of like traditional music making and learning and all that. I think, I hope that that doesn't change and that there's like a resurgence in that in the future. I hope your son picks up a guitar because he sees oh, yeah. you and your husband. He actually has his own drum kit next to mine <gasps> over here. Oh, that's awesome. And so we play double drums and he's been taking piano lessons and oh. um, like virtual piano. And I mean, I think there's really nothing like music that gets every single part of your brain moving. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and of course my kid wants to play video games and I'm like the mom that's like, no, Fortnite's too violent. Uh, you know, I'm like the mom that's like talking about school shootings and, and, yeah. and gun safety and, you know, it's video games are not, I don't like them. I, I, I grew up like, I mean, I'll play like an arcade game. Like I like yeah. you know, Pac-Man and, and Mario and whatever. But I think if we had more kids that were, you know, brought up playing music, maybe there would be less school shootings or and the arts programs in the schools not being taken away. I know. I know it's devastating. It's so important for emotional and physical and mental health for kids. I think to have the arts. Oh, and speaking of your activism, you just became one of the first women on the farm aid board. Yes. Congrats. Thank you. That's so awesome. So surreal. And my, my grandma was so excited. She like dug up a bunch of old photos of the farm and um, she actually just sent me the auction slip, which was like kind of sad to see of, you know, my, my grandparents' farm being sold, but like, it just feels like such a full circle like moment. And 
I really want to be able to help Farm Aid and, and the work that they have already started to do with you know, social issues and food justice and nutrition in urban areas. And there's just so much that, you know, you don't realize that farming and agriculture is is such a social issue until you kind of get in there because, you know, it's like everything else. It's, it's a commodity and it's those who have money will eat good and, and have access to good food and, and those who don't won't. Well, first, also, could you talk about your experience with, I know you've written about losing the family farm. And so just for the listeners, I I realize I know, but what that full circle moment means to you. Yeah, when I was um, about two, my, my dad and all of his brothers and my grandfather and grandmother, they, they lost the farm. There was a bad year, you know, a couple bad years. And also there was it was, it was a very complicated thing, and some of it was due to a kind of a crooked banker um, who just didn't want to help them, and, you know, it, it got swept out from under them and during the farm crisis. So, um, you know, growing up, that was – it was something that I always saw that deeply affected my entire family and just how – how sad they all were kind of after that loss and, you know, just the failure that they carried around. I mean, I knew that they were like, for this past year, it has been a possibility that I would be on the board, but I really didn't know if, if it was going to happen or not. So it was a really bittersweet moment to, um, to share with, with the family when I finally got on the board. I bet they were so happy. Yeah, they were really, I mean, especially my grandma, she's just so proud. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's been really, um, it's been a melancholy week, but yeah, they're doing, they're doing a ton to, um, lift up regenerative farming and also, you know, urban farms and every year they do it in a different area so they can have, you know, different, different farmers come speak and just kind of talk about, you know, what their needs are and how we can, how we can help them. I mean, it starts, I feel like, with each farmer. Like, that is the one of the first ways is, like, the regenerative agriculture movement and just all the... I've been recently reading so much about all the pesticides and things that you don't even realize. How much our soil has changed I know. over the years with industrial agriculture. Like, yeah, it's amazing how much bad shit is in what we eat. <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, I, you know, they're saying like that we're not too far off where the soil is like not even going to be able to be fertile enough to grow anything. And that's actually one of the reasons that I think that we should legalize marijuana and cannabis is because it's so regenerative and you can, you know, you plant corn one year and it really dries everything out, corn and soybeans. But if you would rotate, you know, with cannabis, it would really be beneficial but um it's i think it's just it's an uphill battle and you know for farmers that are doing it organic you know there's there's a lot of challenges that go along with that because to get that organic certification like you can't even technically give your livestock antibiotics when they get sick because right. then it's not considered you know organic so it's like there's just so much that goes into it and um yeah with with climate change there's just like a whole other set of issues that that have been brought up Actually, one thing I saw you um, write about is another one of my passions, the monarch butterflies. Yes. And their disappearance. And so I just planted so much milkweed. 
Yay! All sorts of like, you know, stuff out on our Pollinator garden. That is supposed to um, bring them back because my mom was a science teacher. And so we grew up like we would go down to the milkweed plants and we would get the caterpillars. We would bring them in the house, put them in peanut butter jars, and then we'd watch them build their chrysalis and we'd wake up in the morning and they'd be flying everywhere. So, I love that. We did that too growing up. Yeah. It was such a part of my childhood and growing up and to think that they're like dying and gone. And it's so simple, but you're right. Like the education, the the money it takes to even do these things, like it's it's there's such a, a wide gap and it's not fair and it's it we have to address <laughs> a multitude of issues one by one in order to save our earth and ourselves. And without a doubt, all the chronic illness, I mean, everything that you read that comes from it. So what you're doing with Farmate is a great hey, way you. to start. I'm really excited. And I'm, we've been trying to like, you know, this last year I planted a garden and the year before too. But this year I'm, I'm really excited because I don't think I'm going to be, t- I mean, I'll be touring a little bit, but I still want to put time and, and effort into that. And, and, uh, yeah, planting. We've planted everything that is like native, and then you never have to worry if like yeah, um, you know, a frost comes or whatever. You don't have to cover any of your plants because. And out here, it's all about drought tolerance, and you know, yes. all of the heat, and it's like only April, and it was ninety degrees like the other day, which is like so scary because you're just like, this isn't supposed to be this hot right now, and this is real, you guys. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. I have these final questions that we ask everyone. Oh my gosh. So get ready. Okay. You can only bring three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be and why? Oh, that's a hard call. I know. Three's hard. Yes. Let's see. Karen Dalton in my own time. Ooh. It's such a great album. She was very unknown when she was live. She had a really tragic life, but that album is just, anytime I'm in a funk, I can put that album on and it's like her voice is just transcends. Um, So that would be number one. Uh, Number two would probably be Desire by Bob Dylan. Ooh. That's one of my favorites. And Emmylou does all the harmonies on that, even though she really doesn't love her harmonies. She doesn't. On, How she doesn't she love her harmonies on it because I think it was all like first take, and she wow. thought she was gonna get to do it over. Oh, that's a cool. I gotta go back but, and listen to that. Yeah, now. no. She. I mean, some of it. It's like she doesn't even like. You can tell she like does not know the words. Like, and you know, cause, that's so cool. Yeah, she's. She would tell you that she probably doesn't like it, but I love the album. And then, um, let's see. Nina Simone's 1965. I put a spell on you. <gasps> yes. I feel like her voice for me, I had to spend three months overseas in Asia and it was like really hard for me to be away from home. I was having a lot of panic attacks during the time and Nina Simone, that record, I played it like all oh, the God. time in the morning yeah. when I would go to set on at night when I was really scared and alone there. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. And as a musician, like classically trained and everything she, yeah. like Oh, yeah. Wait, I read somewhere you were classically trained soprano. We have this in common. (gasps) 
Yes. You were singing arias like Italian mezzo-soprano arias in your voice lessons, just like me growing up. I was. Yes. So then you have this beautiful country, layback, beautiful sound now that's so different from that. How did you, because I still feel like I sound like Julie Andrews a lot when I try to sing like, you know, John Prine songs. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, um, I feel like for a long time, well, yeah, my, you know, my mom put me in voice lessons and I was from such a small podunk town and there was nobody around there that was teaching Italian, you know, mezzo-soprano style singing, but we would drive an hour into the Quad City area and we would cross the Mississippi River and go into Iowa and I got lessons from this woman named Sue Clark and she taught me all the breathing techniques, all, you know, all the proper pronunciation, all the, you know, all the tricks that you need to know to have good vibrato and control and whatever. And then I feel like I spent the next like decade trying to unlearn that because I didn't want to sing really pretty. So I would listen to like, you know, Led Zeppelin and uh, Janis Joplin and, and Lead Belly and, you know, just people who sang with like you know, or the James Brown, like people that just like screamed and, you know, so it's, I feel like I was always kind of trying to like hide that. But at the same time, all, all those breathing techniques, they have like saved my voice. Yeah. You know, because there were definitely times where I was like out on the road touring and playing so many shows and my voice would just get really fatigued after like four nights straight and I would like go back to my breathing or go back to like certain exercises and and vocal warm-ups and then I could like you know if I warmed up for like an hour and and drank a ton of tea and and like slept for 10 hours then I could like <laughs> fifth and sixth night I could pull it off but yeah I love that I love that you also had that like that technique in training because it is you know, it, like you said, sometimes you feel like Julie Andrews where you're like, Wait. Oh my God. My friends who are musicians are like, yeah, you need to learn how to not sing like John Prine, like Julie Andrews. I yeah. know. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's such a great, I, I, I mean, music in no, general. It's, it's good to be able to do both, you know, and it's, I think that it's, um, that it is really important to, to know the, the basics and just, and the technique. Although I'm sure John Prine never had voice lessons in smoke. Smoked a million cigarettes and, you know, I love his voice. So it's just <laughs> everybody's too. own vibe. <laughs> totally. Whatever voice is yours is yours. Did you find your voice change when you were pregnant? This is just a question I'm just like one always wanted to know. It it did. Um, it was a little fatigued, like towards the end of my pregnancy. It was like really hard to get a good breath. But I felt like my voice got better because I wasn't smoking any pot obviously, <laughs> and I was just like being really good to myself so um when that's how rumors get started came out I actually had my friend Jesse Coulter who is Waylon Jennings widow and had a career all of her own and I produced a record for her that I'm hoping is going to come out soon because cool. she's just a legend in her own right but um she was like your voice sounds so different. You sound so young. Like, what did you do to make yourself sound like that? And I was like, well, I just wasn't smoking. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I don't feel like I sound that much different. But she really did think that when I was pregnant that I sounded a lot different than I do 
cool. How I'm it's fascinated funny. by that. A lot of my professional musician friends have said that their voices change when they're pregnant. So I just, yeah. I wonder if it's the hormones or breath or all of it, I guess. It just yeah, placement. Totally. I don't know. Yeah. Did you like producing? Was that something? Yeah, I love. I love producing. I've, I've produced two of my husband's albums, which is great because it's just I'm really bossy and I love to tell him what to do and tell him how to sing. That's awesome. Um, and no, we work really well with each other. Um, but Babe, with, you're yeah. a little pitchy, little pit. Yeah, little pitchy. You're a little flat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come back up. Uh, so yeah, that was, it was really fun though to, I mean, especially to produce her. I mean, she's won Grammys. She was one of the original outlaws with, you know, Willie and Waylon. Yeah. And, um, this, this record that she made is, is just so great. And we're just trying to figure out, it's been taking a really long time, but figuring out the business side of it and who's going to put it out and et cetera, et cetera. It's been like, we started working on it before I was pregnant and my daughter's almost two. So this wow. is like, you know, three and a half years in the making. And it's funny just, you know, how long sometimes it takes from like the moment you're in the studio to when you can actually hold a record in your hand. The fun part's always in the making. I always have more mm -hmm. fun at rehearsal than I do when we actually have to shoot because that's where all the like giggles and the, you know, silly stuff that then also does make it on screen, but it's like where the magic I feel like really happens. Exactly. What subject do you Google the most? What subject do I Google the most? <laughs> Let's see. Um, I feel like I look up people's like Wikipedia's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, like I was just Googling um, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and a bunch of these like old like gamblers and gun shooters because I was I was writing something and then this name came up and then I just like went down a rabbit hole of, yeah, I feel like a lot of like dorky history stuff like that, you know, during, yeah, during songwriting or whatever, I'll be like, I need to know more specifics about this one particular thing and then I'll just go down a rabbit hole. Can you and me and Michael and Jeremy write a musical Western? Because oh, yeah. that sounds like... That would be our dream. We love riding horses and that's both of our, neither of us have done a Western yet. And we're like, that's our, that's our, yes. that's our goal. I would, I would love to. That would be so Oh fun. my God. It was so fun. Um, so we usually ask a Dolly like trivia question, but because you have worked with her and known her and all that, I just like to ask people that like know her, do you have a good Dolly story? A good Dolly story. Well, actually... When I finally, the first time I finally got to meet her, meet her and like shake her hand and give her a hug and, you know, tell her what my songs meant, what her songs meant to me was we were at the Opry for her like 50th tribute thing that they did. And she asked me to come sing a couple songs, which I was just blown away. I did Wildflowers from oh. the trio album. And then I did um, The Seeker, which is like a gospel song. And uh, we're back there and I I was just so nervous. I mean, I was like kind of shaking and I never really get nervous to meet anybody. But I think, you know, it's like it's Dolly. Like I'm meeting like the queen of England. But I better. mean, better. Yeah, but better. better too. And so we, you know, we like get together to take a picture and I'm wearing like this rhinestone dress and she's wearing this beautiful rhinestone like jumpsuit thing she had probably custom made and. Uh, we get done with the photo and our like rhinestones are just stuck together. Nah. And I was like, oh, our dresses want to be together. I was like, they want to be best friends. I have to come with you now. And she was like, 
okay, like, please let me get these dresses unstuck because this girl's about to go home with me. Can you can you write a song called Rhinestone Stuck Together? Yes. <laughs> you and Dolly. That's a great, that's a great Dolly. Oh my God, what a good moment. Your style is amazing, by the way. Do you do yourself? Because I dream of wearing everything you wear when I see you on stuff. Oh my gosh. I, w- I should have done this Zoom in my closet. I had a giant like pink Barbie dream closet like built on to, in addition to the house. So I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty compulsive shopper and I like, I feel like I have chameleon style where, you know, some days I want to dress like incredibly throwback Western, but then other days I just, you know, I want to wear like a motorcycle jacket and a pair of like Elton John boots or something. So I do, I, every now and then I'll get like a stylist, you know, for something. And, and I have a couple of really great girls that, that help me, but I do like to dress myself. I mean, and then you get to like keep it because if you pay uh, a stylist, I know you're you like, okay, I just paid $500 for someone not to give me that dress. I just want to wear like I, my dream is to go on a talk show and I know you've worn them before. just like the embroidered, almost like old school nudie suit. Like oh, yeah. five, like you pull it off so well, but I feel like if they're like, that's the girl from Two Bro Girls in the neighborhood and she's dressed full throwback Western. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, horses are my life, but it's right. like my dream is to just show up to like a Hollywood red carpet where everybody else is like in, you know, Versace or whatever. And Valentino. I'm just, Valentino. Yeah. And I'm just full nudie suit. My custom yeah. cowboy hat from my friend Kate Hofstead and just like, yeah. I love her. She's great. She, I love her too. I went up and built my own hat with her because I was so obsessed with them. I wanted to learn. And then her and I now are like dear friends. I'm going to go up again to Oregon and, if, and build. My husband wants to build one too. She's the best. She's so good. I, um, well, I have plenty of nudie suits you could borrow. Or I'm like, there's a girl. She goes by, you, you do need, need to just get one that has all stuff that's custom to you and like yeah. get your own nudie suit made. I'm going to find her name really quick. I think I might follow her because of you. Is it Rose Cut? Rose Cut. Yes. She is the best. And you just get some with like, get a couple horses on there. Oh, yes, girl. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, final question. So don't take any more of your time. Okay, this is called the blank room exercise. So if you don't mind closing your eyes. Okay. Go into a blank room. What are you hearing? What am I here? I'm hearing Hank Williams for some reason. Ooh, I love it. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I don't know why. I think maybe Jeremy was playing Hank Williams earlier today. I'm awesome. so lonesome. Oh. Here we go. What are you smelling? Cigarette smoke. <laughs> what are you tasting? A cold beer. Mm. I think I'm at a honky tonk. I mean, this sounds great. What are you touching? A book of matches. Oh, cool. And what are you seeing, even though it's a blank room? I'm seeing the ghost of Hank Williams. Oh, this is the, I think that might be the best blank room ex- exercise yet. Thank you so much, Margo. This is awesome. Thank you. It was great to talk with you. You and too. I have to keep each other posted on the, the monarch situation as gardens grow. Yes. Isn't she awesome? You guys, her style... If you don't know her already, go listen to all her records, but then just check out all the clothes she's worn. I think her throwback Western style and her like rocker style, everything about her, she's one of my style icons too. So 
I definitely think you'll love to follow her on Instagram and check her out. And speaking of social media and all the things, please let us know. DM us at Harmonics Podcast. Leave your reviews and ratings on Apple. It really helps us to know how we can bring you more content that will better serve you all and help to navigate this awesome show that I'm just having the best time doing moving forward. All right. Love you all. Have a great week. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Our project manager is Shelby Williamson. And it's always made possible by the leadership of executive producer Amy Reitenauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. I'm Beth Bears. Thanks for listening. Stay vulnerable, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>